0: PayPal will allow users to buy cryptocurrencies and to make purchases with them on its platform. Also, the US government is going after Google for hurting competition by monopolizing the search engine market. Snap had its best week in a long time, and we have to say goodbye to Quibi just six months after launching. Also, there are so many political ads betting right now on YouTube ads that the platform ran out of space for showing them and we are going to be discussing about how companies are leveraging on users' data and what the future looks like for them. All of this and more on the third episode of the Not Your Marketed Podcast. Stick around. Hey guys, I'm Nadia Marketer, Alberto Lempira, a.k.a. Lempi. Welcome to episode three of the Nadia Marketer podcast. Thank you for joining me as I run through some of of the most relevant news about marketing, business, and tech. This show is launched every other week. If you like it, please make sure to subscribe. And if you're kind enough and leave a review on your podcast streaming platform, I appreciate it a lot. Okay, So let's dig into the headlines. PayPal is betting on crypto by allowing its US-based accounts to buy and sell cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. They'll be able to be purchased on the platform. According to Reuters, uh, payments made through or to merchants with cryptocurrencies will be settled using fiat currencies like the US dollar. So they will not receive payments in virtual coins. PayPal has over 346 million active accounts worldwide and processed almost 230 billion US dollars in payments in the second quarter of 2020, quoting Reuters. So the virtual coins are going to be stored on PayPal's digital wallet. Uh, So PayPal is going to be competing with other alternatives in front uh, of cryptocurrency digital wallets. So why is this important for us? PayPal used to... Uh, I mean, it's used for many businesses, uh, both online and offline, uh, as their go-to payment gateway. So this will open uh, many doors for merchants, uh, and it's yet to be seen how marketers can leverage on this. Many central banks are also uh, working and launching their their own cryptocurrencies. The Bahamas just have just launched uh, what they call the Sandcoin, which is going to be their own official uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, and governments in Europe and Asia are also uh, I mean have revealed their intention of doing likewise. So this is a huge push on the uses of cryptocurrencies and how is I mean pulling it out of the shadows of a select number of users and putting it in the right light of the online commerce scene. So we have to wait and see how this uh, turns out but uh, I mean, just by giving uh, the user, the PayPal user base, uh, the chance and the opportunity to use cryptocurrencies for not only for doing an exchange in in the crypto world, but also to make purchases uh, with real life uh, merchants, uh, that will be pretty interesting. This week, the US government announced an antitrust lawsuit against Google for violating anti-monopoly laws. So the lawsuit, states that long gone are the days when Google was a thriving startup that wanted to serve its user with a better solution to finding things online. So right now, Google controls over 80% of the search channel in the U.S. alone. And the U.S. government argues that this uh, makes makes it very difficult for competitors to fight against them and ultimately makes the prices rise as the offer is limited. They are talking about the ad business of the ad size of of, of the business of of Google, obviously. So according to the Wall Street Journal, Alphabet, uh, which is Google parent's company, uh, pays Apple over or around 10 billion US dollars per year uh, to funnel uh, in search traffic by being the default search engine on on Safari, the the web browser uh, owned by Apple and embedded in uh, all the Apple devices. Almost the fifty percent of the traffic to Google came through Apple devices in twenty in twenty nineteen, according to CNET. So this is obviously something that it's. Very, I mean, I mean, it's it's crucial for for Google to be in on Apple devices and to be to. I mean, to be in the default search engine there. Uh, also has paid over one billion U.S. dollars to U.S. carriers. So. What the lawsuit states is that Google keep paying, because they have a lot of money, obviously, um, to maintain its position as the go-to search engine right now. So more than half of Google's revenue comes from its search business, and this could end up disrupting the way Alphabet Alphabet handles it. So on the other hand, Google says that nobody is forced to use them uh, or use the search engine and that people choose to uh, use them because they are better than the competitors. And it's not a lack of competition or alternative uh, what it's driving people to use them. So why is this important? So Google has over 86% of the worldwide search engine market share, okay, Uh, the closest competitor uh, as of July, 2020 is Bing by, uh, with 6.43%, Baidu with 0.68% and Yandex with 63 percent uh, okay, all these according to Estatista. So we're talking about a real monolithic giant here, right? So, uh, I mean, they can define what gets discovered, and what not across the world without any regulation or uh, with little regulation at, at at the very at the very least. So for marketers, Google has defined the digital strategy from search engine optimization, like I don't know, like the adaptation of technologies to make your website rank higher, the use or dismiss of several different practices so that they can, I mean, that they define beneficial or not for users. And they also define pretty much the form and, I mean, the look and feel and how you have to deal with the PPC, pay-per-click on search and display advertising online in the whole world. So we're talking here about something, I mean, this lawsuit is going to take a long time, but uh, this news could have a huge impact on how digital marketing strategies are shaped in the future. Uh, The thing here is that, I mean, as I mentioned, this could take years, Microsoft case, which was uh, the most uh, prominent case in the past uh, in the terms of antitrust by the US government, uh, took over a decade to, to be settled. So one takeaway from this for us marketers Uh, Is something that I always keep telling my students in class. When you think about strategic marketing, especially when it's online, you don't have to define uh, your strategy thinking about Facebook or Google or TikTok's algorithm and requirements. No, you have to think about your audience as a human being. And how would you communicate, approach, and deal in a more human way? That will always give you an advantage and will make it future-proof no matter what. After doing that, you can keep in mind all the specific requirements and considerations that uh, are usually technical and not uh, methodological from each of those platforms. So we will have to wait and see how this uh, shapes uh, up in the future. Another news is that Snap had a great week. They reported a jump in daily average users or DAOs uh, of almost 20%. So, they uh, increased nearly 4% since July, and that made it a 19% growth year over year. Now it has around 249 million active daily users. Uh, and according to CMDC, uh, Snapchat CEO, even Spiegel, said that AR adoption has been happening faster than they expected. So, Snapchat took advantage also of the hate for profit boycott campaign for that was led by 1, 000, almost 1,000 advertisers uh, on Facebook ads uh, to work with brands that wanted to partner with companies that, quote-unquote, share the same values. At the end of the year, Snapchat is also expecting a growth of at least 47% year-on-year, year, and it's optimistic about the strength of the momentum they have uh, with their advertising uh, partners quoting uh, CNBC. So Snapchat has also increased uh, 100, or has seen, a, has, uh, has seen an increase of 150% year-on-year DAOs on India or in, in, in the Indian market. According to the Economic Times, uh, they have bet heavily on new original series and uh, games for the local market. The company is betting on local experiences to engage with Indians as they boost the mobile-first shows and mobile games, said the Economic Times. So why is this important? You know that Snapchat has been around for quite a long time now, and I believe we're still yet to see uh, the unleash of its true potential. So India is a massive market, okay? And if Snap gets to successfully prove its strategy there, uh, that could make the company one, get a flow of cash uh, to them, that could finance a stronger and more aggressive take on other markets, and they can also replicate a success recipe that can help them to engage with new users and to rescue some of them that have maybe have abandoned the platform, especially in Europe and Asia. So for marketers, this is increasingly interesting as Snapchat's nature. Uh, of content is radically different from other platforms, even with IG stories and IGTV and etc. Uh, this could set a new path for brands to create engaging content to win their audience attention, and we will have to wait and see how this turns out. But going to the next news, so to the next headline, it's time to wave uh, Quibi goodbye. And. Quibi I, I, I don't know if you if you remember Quibi launched 6 months ago roughly um and it was a platform video streaming platform that um created premium short content type of uh videos uh for being consumed while on the go on mobile phones so um they seem to promise, I mean they promised to enter uh a, a new era of short of short form uh, premium content uh but things didn't turn out as expected. So the company announced that they were shutting down its service due to lack of interest in the public. The COVID pandemic may have played a role in Quibi's failure, but also a crowded marketplace with uh, big names like Disney, uh, HBO, NBC, and more getting into the video streaming uh, scene uh, could have, have also made it more difficult for them. So the company says that maybe it's a combination of both. So why is this important? So many people, me included, um, I mean, we were happy about uh, to see what come, uh, what would come from from Quibi's launch, because they bet, uh, or yeah, they're bet on um, this new way of creating just content for the the for thinking about mobile first is one of the things that we haven't yet nailed in the digital marketing area. So, I mean, it was an interesting experiment. uh, And this is something that, I mean, as I mentioned, it has has been very hard to capitalize uh, due to the excessive offer of content online right now. So we have to see how other companies Uh, tried to take over on what Quibi was trying to do. We have uh, an approach, I mean, with with Snapchat, Facebook, and YouTube, they're working with uh, some content creators. But the thing here with Quibi is that they partner with actual production company. I mean, this was like an old style way of launching a a video streaming uh, um, platform, right? Uh, Maybe Snapchat is working with that a little bit more, but Facebook and YouTube, they're partnering more with content creator, independent content creator. I mean, you have the best and worst uh, pros and cons for for each one of those, but we will have to wait and see, and hopefully uh, to see a comeback of someone uh, with an idea that is going to be similar to what Quibi wanted to do in the near future. And last but not least, in terms of the headlines that we're going to cover in this episode, so th- there are m- so many advertisers betting on political ads on YouTube in the US that the platform ran uh, ran out of space for showing them all. So according to Bloomberg, uh I mean they compare this, what's happening right, right now with the political uh b- advertise I mean with advertisers uh, betting for political ads with what happens with Black Friday and the Silver Monday sales. So the shorter the shortage of ad space has made the cost of these ads to raise sometimes even double in the past weeks and this has made that companies with limited uh, campaigns uh, with limited budgets to look for alternative of video marketing uh, or video advertisement platforms like Hulu and Roku. All this happens at the same time as YouTube tries to fight misinformation and doubles down on ad review for political campaigns. So the growth of YouTube, uh, especially uh, uh, as a TV set, or for core quarters, uh, makes it more appealing for advertisers uh, as it offers better segmentation and of course, less expensive costs. So why is this important? So marketers are used to um, I mean, we are used to these kind of situations, right? So we have a, a demand that overwhelms the offer for the ad space available a specific on a specific platform. So this, this can happen uh, during sports events, TV show premieres or finales, um, election campaigns. I mean, you name it. So the thing here is that our, there are some strategies like targeting a niche audience uh, in a very specific location, uh, I mean, these could be solutions to circumvent uh, these peaks on demand, especially if you're on a tight budget. I always do this uh, with my clients. Even when the budget is not that limited, uh, try to uh, to set different uh, set of audiences, placement and locations. So try to mix and play with the segmentation to see which one performs uh, the, the best. Uh, this would be a sort of A-B testing, the only thing is that you have multiple variants uh, at a time with only, I mean, with the only objective or goal to improve the budget performance uh, overall. In the in situations like this, this approach will give any advertiser an advantage, and this is something that many of them are applying right now. So this is, I mean. Just happening. The thing here is that a lot of advertise. I mean, what is reported is that many advertisers are targeting the same people in the same location because they are trying to win out on swing states, right? So, well, that's it. So, obviously, the offer and demand, when you have a lot of demand and you don't have enough enough spaces, I mean, in this case, ad space for them, uh, prices are going to keep uh, rising and rising. So you always have to take a look also to alternative for doing your advertising. So on today's top story, we're going to talk about... um, how companies are using the data uh, from customers for uh, their advantage, okay? So there are many brands and companies uh, and many ways they can uh, gather uh, data from users and customers to offer a tailored experience to them, right? So today I wanted to talk about three ways uh, companies can do that. Uh, The first one would be understanding your customer. Okay, so you can gather data to know how your uh, user or customer is using your product or service, uh, what it does with it, what they love, what they miss, etc. You can track the interactions between you, uh, I mean, your brand and them uh, in a way that wasn't feasible 20 or 15 years ago. Like uh, when, every, when they go to your website or to app, or to your app, if you have one, or any social media interactions. So the thing here is that now you can create profiles, generic profiles, uh, that can help you to predict a little bit of how your um, customers are going to behave, which is the second point I'm, I'm going there. Uh, it can help you to enrich your product or service i mean to understand what needs to be improved uh to add or remove features depending on the usage or the value that it they're they're adding to the to the actual offering that you are giving to your customers and it can even you can even redesign things right so a few examples of these are i don't know like google with uh their all i mean they have been um one of the most active companies, when they test uh, a product or service uh, to get the feedback from users, usually beta, ter- beta testers, um, to improve the service or to shut it down uh, uh, as it is. So you have, I don't know, Google Hangouts uh, evolved into Google Meets. Then you had, I don't know, Google Boss at the beginning, Google Plus, they were killed. Uh, you, you had Google Reader, which was not used enough, so they killed it. They kept improving Google, uh, Gmail uh, the first time the, I mean fr- from the beginning uh, to make it uh, even better and better to keep improving it by, with the user's uh, data. Uh, and they, I mean this is something in Google search obviously Google search is like the 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 main focus of how they use users uh, data to keep improving how the the search engine performs. This I mean the second point of this uh, which is predictive behavior has a lot to do with this so you know, what i mean you're going you're, you're able right now to know what users do before during and after purchasing or using your product okay so that helps you to create a model uh and i mean to start modeling on what do, there is going to be their next move and that will help you to be always ahead of time which is really interesting i mean you may imagine amazon does that uh, but it can also be performed by small and medium sized businesses. Like, I don't know, let's think about a, an e commerce. If you have an e commerce, uh, you know which products are selling out, and you know how your uh, customers, how the customers pair them with other products or whatever uh, what can be sold uh, upsell or cross-sell I mean with upselling and cross-selling you, can, you know how can you how you can mix and match um you know if there are any key dates I mean let's imagine I know um, Valentine's Day or Christmas or whatever so you have that kind of information but if you have an e-commerce you also have a profile for each of your customers so you also know if there's a specific date that is important for them. Let's say that maybe you, you can even know if there's uh, the, their anniversary with their uh, significant ones or maybe a birthday or whatever. Um, you can use that to tailor a an exclusive or more personalized experience for them, both online or even through email marketing. So um, you can also optimize the conversions uh, once you know the purchase path, uh, and you 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 create this model with uh, the best. I mean, the vast majority of your customers are following. You can know what's bothering other users to not complete that conversion and to keep improving that. Okay, and the third uh, point here is uh, engage with customer. I mean engage with customers and their data. So whenever you, uh, as a brand has much uh, as, as much data as right now you can have from your customers, you may use it to be more human in your relationship with them, right? So I don't know, a few examples of that, is Spotify always use uh, this wrapped campaign uh, with random facts about its platform used by subscribers. Uh, so, uh, I, I, there's one, ex- a few examples, like uh, there's, w- there was one billboard that stated, dear person who played Zorri 42 times on Valentine's Day, what did you do? So, these kind of mm, billboards uh, help you to um, connect a little bit more with your audience. And people, I mean, users are not going to be freaked out with the fact that obviously you know what is being played or not in each one of your subscribers' uh, devices. I cannot wait to see what they're going to come up with uh, for the 2020 campaign, as this year has been particularly tough on uh, on everybody. Uh, Google also uh, do the, does something like this. They have this campaign called Year in Search, uh, where well, it's just like a showcase Obviously, as I mentioned, eighty-six percent of the global market share of search engine uh, always uh, obviously they know what the world searches every year. So these kind of things, I mean, it's just it could be a communication strategy, uh, but at the end of the day, it can help to engage even more with your uh, customers. So Sephora also, I mean, Sephora in my opinion, in my humble opinion is one of the all-stars in email marketing. They they use the data from frequent customers' profile to tailor their communication and promotions through email marketing. So this leads to high open rates and to high conversion and engagement rates for those marketing actions. And this is the thing, I mean, you have to use the data in your benefit, uh, but now more than ever, managing customers' data is a trigger thing, okay? So, I always tell my students that for you to ask potential customers uh, for their data, you have to uh, make the case about how this is going to be useful for them. I mean, what's the exchange? What are they going to get in exchange for for giving away that data, no? So, uh, a brand needs to give enough value in exchange for that. In 2020, that value cannot be represented by money although there are a few people lobbying for that. uh, So you have to be creative enough to make sure that the other part feels the exchange is just and fair. So I truly believe that we can live in a world where brands can be given personal data without compromising uh, the customer's uh, safety or privacy. But it all starts with us as marketers respecting our users' data as our own. This brings me to uh, my reflections for this episode. So we have talked about uh, data, uh, Google, and the first reflection question would be thinking about how much Google knows about all of us and how this information can be turned against us do you believe that there should be more government regulations for tech giants like Google, Facebook, Apple, etc.? And if so, what happens if governments are going to regulate regulate those, com- those companies? What would happen, or what could happen, in countries where governments are do not have the well being of their citizens as their Priority, I don't know, with totalitarian regimes and all, so forth. Uh, I mean, this is a very gray-ish area where you have to think about the repercussions of who has the power. Obviously, the power should not rely only on one side of the of the scale because it's not going to be probably is not going to be fair enough. I mean, I uh, you you may think different, but I believe that companies obviously they have i mean like google facebook they have their own interests in hands but they have to also bet for having uh the especially in 2020 uh, having the well-being of their users uh, as a priority because if the user do not feel like it's being considered or is taken care of uh they might well just shutting the door logging out, delete an account, and go somewhere else. The thing here is that we have to deal with especially especially with young people I mean with the younger spectrum of the user base, which is more success- susceptible of misinformation, of uh data misusage, and so forth. Okay. So I mean I know this is something that uh uh, it's open for, for a huge and, and long debate. But in, I just wanted to give uh, or leave this to reflections. Uh, so let me know what you think. Uh, please uh, comment on any of the platforms where you watch or listen to this podcast. I would love to hear your, your comments. Also, you can uh, send any message on social media at Alberto Lempira or, uh, or at uh, Not your Marketer. Those are the user handles for any social platform. So on next episode, uh, we're going to talk about how can you earn your place on search engines, just like Google, and what are the, be- the latest and the best SEO tactics that small uh, businesses can use uh, from ranking uh, from scratch, Okay. So thanks again for listening. Uh, Please, if you like the show, uh, hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, leave a review if you listen to the podcast on your favorite uh, podcast uh, provider. Uh, That would mean a lot for me. Uh, Please uh, be safe and see you on the next episode of Naughty Marketer. Lempi out.